and so I heard on podcast somebody mentioned yeah investing in RV campgrounds and so I was like that's interesting I never thought about that before hey it's JP hi it's Excel and you're listening to Terry Shower on the Real Estate Investors Club podcast Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. I'm here today with Don Spafford, and uh, Don is a partner at Happy Camper Capital. Um, he's joining us from the U.S., so from uh, Idaho, is that right? Yes, that's correct. So, Don, tell me about the journey that has brought you to be with me on this podcast today talking about real estate investing. Uh, to be honest, it's been an incredible journey. Um, I... I, I you know, not to give too much of my background and past, but uh, I started investing in real estate in 2017. So basically five years ago, um, there was, you know, a bit of a time leading up to that when we, when we, when we made, made that first investment. But uh, so on that trajectory, when I first started, I, I would not have imagined, you know, five years later, I'd be at this point I am now doing things I'm doing with, with a large multi-million dollar syndications so it's been, uh, you know, again, quite incredible. Just, uh, you know, I bought the first properties of fourplex in 2017, you know, local to, to me nearby. I still own it today. And uh, my, my path, I guess, at that point, I, I had planned to just continue buying fourplexes really to get to the, the number I was trying to reach for financial independence. And I thought I could do it with fourplexes, which, you know, I, I could, but I, I realized after I bought the, the third one uh, that that process is going to take a lot longer than I, I first imagined. Uh, and it was getting more difficult as more people were, you know, more investors are getting on there and, and uh, you know, trying to buy as well. So I'm competing with more. And uh, I got to the point where the, the numbers weren't quite working for me as well. And, uh, you know, I started looking to other avenues to try to get into some some bigger, you know, commercial real estate. Uh, I first looked into to syndications early on, but I didn't really have the connections for it or, or even, I guess, even the resources to invest in what most of them needed for a minimum investment. So... I was kind of, you know, on my own, I guess, through connections I'd made through networking. Uh, I started getting on some uh, email lists for wholesalers and other uh, you know, commercial brokers that would just send me some random things here and there. And that's kind of where uh, this path kind of just naturally formed, I, I guess. Again, not really intentional, but, but uh, you know, I got into a, a land flip deal, uh, which then later led to a development project. Uh, and then... That led to me getting involved with a, a group of developers that were doing a, like large multifamily development, uh, and I kind of you know, through through uh, things I was doing, going to different networking events, you know, kind of could come on to the, with join with them and uh, offer to provide some assistance and helping with their their capital raising and you know, other insights that I had at that point that they weren't using. And then from there, again, I was just trying to get more into uh, you know other multifamily syndications, really, uh, which. Unfortunately, about a year or so ago, you know, I, from the numbers I was seeing and what I was looking for from my expectations for returns, I was not finding anything that that uh, got me excited or, or met my personal criteria of what I wanted to get for for a return on investment. And that's kind of where, you know, the, maybe the timing worked out right where it was, but uh, I discovered RV resort campgrounds uh, as another investment vehicle and uh, met with a couple guys that had just closed on their first property and we're looking to expand their team. And, uh, you know, that's where we all met and, and uh, everything aligned. And, and I joined up with Happy Camper Capital and uh, we kind of just uh, have exploded since then. All right. So a lot of information. I want to take you to some of the inflection points because I find that like 
that's where people have some kind of an aha moment or like something happens that changes things for them. So, yeah. you know, I uh, bought your first uh, fourplex in 2017. What happened for you to decide I want to get into real estate investing and this is going to be my path to financial independence? Like what made that happen for you? Yeah. So the, 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 there were several factors that led up to that point. So, so part of it was, I guess, initially, you know, looking back to like the 2008 market crash, right? When uh, housing prices dropped uh, everywhere, I was like, yeah, hey, I, I wish I could take advantage of this opportunity. I, I saw there was opportunity there, but I didn't know how, and I didn't know anything about real estate you know, investing. And I didn't, I didn't didn't have the resources to do it at the time. But uh, a few years later, my wife became a realtor. And then uh, she started working with investors as her, some of her very first clients. And that's kind of really where I started I guess wanting to learn more and start reading books and learning about it, but uh, several of the I guess the, the the why factors that that led up to to making that decision was, uh, you know, one was you know ideally my my mother was uh, at a, going through some some difficulty with her life and uh, dealing with MS and you know high uh, raising you know uh, medical costs and knowing at some point in the future she was going to need you know additional medical care like full time so I was like I wanted to be able to help her to do that uh, so I needed additional income to do that. And then also just my own personal family needs, you know, my, our family was growing. Uh, we had four kids and, you know, I wanted to be able to help my oldest ones or help them as each as they come along to go through college and help kind of offer that, that cost for them. And then um, just in, uh, the, probably the, the biggest overwhelming one for, for me was just everything else that was happening. You know, our, our personal expenses were going up. We, we were actually in a lot of debt at the time, mostly through medical expenses and uh, just basic living needs uh, that kind of, kind of slowly built up over time. And, you know, I was literally at the point where it was like, you know, this is not getting any better. You know, I, I can't really go and get a second job. I can't, you know, uh, hope to really find a better job that was like what I could earn at the time. And so I didn't really see any other way to, to get out. And I saw real estate as not a, a form to create additional income that did not require additional time for me to go and, and uh, you know, work a second job and put another 20 or more hours per week. So I was like, okay, I could, I could take this risk, this chance, I guess, and, uh, and start on this path, knowing that you know, it's not going to be a thing immediately. It's going to make a difference, but over time, it's going to build up and uh, will eventually get us there, I think. And so, uh, so that was kind of really my my biggest, I guess, push right there was knowing that you know there was really no other way to produce the income that we needed without you know working you know eighty hours a week or something. Uh, mm-hmm. And that was for me the, the biggest thing. So I want to be able to provide to provide for my for my family and also be there for them uh, and not mm-hmm. just you know. Have dad be that guy that's off working somewhere we never see. First of all, that's that's a great story. But I what I want to ask you about it is, so it sounds like you were in a position where you kind of had a lot of pressure on you, right? Like you have debts, yeah. you see mounting expenses, you're not quite sure how you're going to make that happen. And then a lot of people, when they're faced with that kind of situation, either they double down on whatever they're doing that's not working, or they get into mm-hmm. like, paralysis mode, go in the headlights. I can't do anything about this. What yeah. turns you into the guy who is like, no, I'm going to let me like lean into this risk, create, take on additional risk with the hope of some kind of return. Like what makes you go that way and not the other way? So, and so there, I guess there's more to it. It to adds that risk as well. Um, I didn't cover this. So, so for that down payment on that first property, I, I borrowed from my 401k, right? So I didn't have savings to use for down payment. I was like, I'm going to do, go against the grain, do what everybody says not to do. I'm going to touch my retirement account, borrow from my 401k for this down payment, knowing that it's going to pay itself back. But so yeah, that's not to say that there was no fear in there. There definitely was a lot of fear. Um, 
So I was like, literally the night before we closed on that property, I, I told my wife, maybe we should just back out, you know, walk, walk away from it to lose our deposit. It's fine. Whatever. Not take this risk because if this, if this goes wrong, yeah, we're, we're totally screwed. <laughs> you know, there's, there's, there, there's no backing away. We'd have to, at that point, probably file for bankruptcy. So, you know, I, I went back to my analysis of the property. So my, my background is in finance. I work in the investment industry. Uh, so I know and trust my numbers. I did the analysis on this property and, you know, my gut feeling on it and, and just the numbers said it's going to work. You know, the, 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 I guess the deciding factor would be how I manage it and, and make sure I can manage it properly. That was the only thing that was the unknown, but the numbers worked. It's like, if, if this can work, operate as expected, this will work, at least get it started and get something happening. Uh, and, you know, essentially it'll pay for itself and, and uh, you know, over time it's going to work out. But there was still, again, a lot of risk in there. It's like, maybe it won't work out. Maybe I didn't factor something that I should have factored in. And, you know, maybe the, the tenants aren't going to be great <laughs> to destroy the property. And there's going to be a big, you know, big expense. So all these things that were there, the, the, the fear factor, I should have pushed those aside and say, okay, my numbers work. I know I've got to get started. There, there's no other way that this can, our lives can change if we don't take this chance now. And so, you know, at this point, I had already analyzed like probably 100 properties up to that point. So it wasn't like it was my very first thing I was looking at. I've, I've analyzed a, a bunch of them just as practice and uh, getting familiar with the area and things. And um, so I felt comfortable with the numbers. And, and uh, you know, even with that fear there, I was like, okay, I got to trust that this work. I got to trust the numbers and and uh, know that myself, you know, I'm not going to let this fail. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure it, it works, you know, even better than expected. And so that was for me, I guess, the, the, just that pushing past that fear was just enough to say, okay, I'm ready to go. And once we closed that property, essentially like the, the floodgates were open, right? That fear was removed and I was ready just to keep buying more. I love it. So basically using, you know, the analysis that you knew how to do from somewhere else to push through the fact that it's, I mean, it's scary to take on a risk. It's scary to face the unknown, but if you have a solid enough analysis that you know you can trust making it through that. Right, um, exactly. And then... We are now, uh, you got a couple of fourplexes under your belt and things are not going fast enough for you. But I'm assuming that there was some other kind of plateau you had to break through to move into the next phase, which was then syndications or whatever it is. So take me to that next inflection point. Tell me, what were you missing? And how did you go about putting that puzzle piece together to be able to take what you were doing to the next level? Yeah, so... So essentially, you know, the the with these fourplexes I was buying, I was, uh, you know, I was essentially using low down payments as well. So so we're, I wasn't putting like twenty five percent down. You know, the, that first property I put ten percent down. The next two and three I bought together and put fifteen percent down. So I was using low down payment options on these, which helped you know helped to to get into these properties to begin with. But you know, with, with that, you know, I was I was looking for between you know five hundred to thousand per month cash flow from each property. So I was like, okay, it's going to take me you know X amount to to get to the number I was trying to get to at minimum. And I was like, okay, this is going to take still longer than than I would like uh, going this route. And I said it was getting more difficult, so the cash flows were getting slimmer, and picking higher down payments is going to take therefore longer than I first planned. So I started looking to, to other things and just kind of eyeballing other like say mid-sized properties, like say 15 units or something or above, thinking I could maybe try to tackle those on my own. Didn't quite work out, you know. But uh, so just from those connections I made, I started these these other opportunities came up. So initially, this this uh, opportunity to get into this land flip deal that the broker had sent me. It was definitely more than I could do on my own. I didn't have really anything to buy it. But I saw the opportunity there to, at the minimum, flip this for at least double, if not triple, what we what the purchase price was. So I just took action and said, okay, let's get it under contract. 
uh, so we don't lose it. And then I'm going to get to work and try to find a partner that can bring the cash to make it happen. Uh, you know, rather than going the other way around and possibly mis- missing out on the property. So, so I got under contract and then, you know, I did just that. I went and found a, a, a partner that, who had connections to bring the capital to, to buy this property. And so I got into this with zero dollars out of pocket. I just essentially the one that found the deal. Then I found the, the partners that could bring the money to make it happen. And then from there, just down the road, another lot came available. Well, I, you know, I, I wanted to build on it. So I'm not just flip it. So I kind of did the same thing. I got under, <laughs> under contract. With, you know, and then and then went and found a partner who who uh, agreed with my plan and idea to to build something here, and he could bring capital to help us close on the, the lot, then get things in process to to build. So that was kind of my my next step to get into these deals without you know additional capital up front. And then just from that experience, again, then I started doing a lot of networking. So literally, all of 2021, I spent going to multiple networking events. You know, all virtual and online at this point because of COVID. So. I was on pretty much every day of the week on, on at least one, if not multiple meetup events, just networking with people that are uh, other syndicators or investors and, and just in commercial real estate and kind of building up that, uh, I guess, uh, the, the you know, know, like, and trust factor to have people know who I was, uh, you know, hopefully like me, and then be willing to, to trust me enough to invest with me at some point down the road. And, and, and additionally, just for me having those other connections from those people I could lean on and ask questions to that were, were more experienced than I was. And, and so with that, you know, I, I was focused on, well, again, so 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 with that that construction project I had going, and then the the connections I made, like I said, I, I I had these other guys contacted me, these ones that were developing some projects here 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 in Idaho Falls. They had actually contacted me a few years prior to that, some who somebody else had referred me to them uh, as a possible investor. At the time I turned them down because I was finding better deals with those fourplexes I was buying, I was getting better returns than the, than what they were offering. So now a few years later, they come back to me and say, "Hey, we've got a new project we're working on. Uh, it's offering you know thirty percent annual returns." I was like, hey, that sounds pretty great. I was not finding anything better really at the time. So I was like, I'm, I'm willing to invest in that. But I said, hey, by the way, I, I, I'm now networking with lots of other investors and syndicators who could possibly also invest in your deals. So if you're willing to let me work with you guys, I could try to uh, help you know, bring, bring capital to your, to your projects. Uh, and so they luckily for me agreed and uh, brought me on to, to their team to help with, with that. And I could bring in additional I guess, perspective that they weren't doing before. These guys are just developers. They, they've always done these projects where they build them and sell them. They were mostly relied on a lot of family and friends for that. They never really did much outside syndicating or networking. So I came on the team and was like, okay, I, the investors I know need to know more about the project than just to trust you guys. So, so I was like, you know, let me be kind of your marketing guy too. So I kind of started putting together marketing materials and things that we could provide to the investors that they're going to want to see anyway providing insights from, from my experience uh, as an investor and so on in syndication. These, these guys are always just did built to sell everything. They, they build it and sell it. So I kind of convinced them to stop selling these properties. Said just build them and let's hold them. Do a built to rent. And so so luckily for me, I was just the right timing that this other huge massive project came up next that I got involved with to help raise capital for that. And, and again, kind of provide those, those insights of, of what investors want to see. And uh, so from there, again, I was... I now felt confident that, okay, I could raise some capital. I, I know more about it. I've got some some experience under my belt, I guess, to kind of try to move forward. And, and I was trying to get more into the the standard, say, multifamily value-add syndications as most people do. But for me personally, going you know, going back to my expectations for returns and things, I was not finding any properties that I felt comfortable enough to, first of all, I want to invest myself, and then second, to ask other people to bring money to. Nothing that really, you know, for me, stood out. And you know, I, I'm, I'm still very much risk averse, so I want to make sure I've got a lot of buffer for anything that could go wrong. 
and everything else was just kind of too slim. The returns weren't good enough for me. And so I looked just like I'm gonna, I'm gonna look at other people's syndications, see what else everybody else is investing in. It must be okay. So I, you know, I looked at overall you know, dozens of other offerings from syndicators. And uh, again, for me, it was just like nothing really stood out as amazing enough to get me excited to say I'm gonna put my money in this. So I was kind of just going through it and, and uh, waiting and being patient, trying to find something that would work that, that I liked, and uh, you know, not seeing anything that really. Turned me on, I guess. So I, I just was patient and got to the point where I was about to just give up and say, maybe there's nothing better. And so I was going to just put my money into some of their deals too. But that's when, luckily at that point, I, I heard on a podcast. And so, so again, at this point, I was listening to podcasts like every day of the week. I woke up podcasts. was just my normal routine. And so I heard on podcasts somebody mentioned, yeah, investing in RV campgrounds. And so I was like, that's interesting. I never thought about that before. You know, where I live in eastern Idaho, we're like an hour and a half or so from Yellowstone Park, uh, you know, mountainous areas. So lots of people here go camping. All my neighbors have RVs pretty much. And so I was like, there could be something to this. You know, so I wanted to look more into it and started going to some uh, some meetups and uh, webinars on this topic and uh, just connecting with more people that are in that space. Um, I, ideally, I, th- I thought, hey, I, I can at least bring value to be a boots on the ground. This is a, you know, a, a great area for that. So if someone wants to buy here, I can go you know, be their, their person to go check it out, take videos and, and provide insight. Uh, get my wife's a realtor. We can help purchase all those kind of things. And so that was my initial thought to get in the door with, with some of these people and uh but they've just been doing those those connecting and and uh and networking i just I met a couple guys based in denver who had just closed their first property about a year ago and, and wanted to do more that's kind of where i could come in and offer offer uh you know my experience and and, uh, and and everything i was looking to do and again the returns were initially what what got my attention because the returns were you know double or, or triple what i was seeing in anything else very high cash flows and, and high, you know, equity multiples, and you know, and, and kind of going back to to what I saw this as an opportunity. Besides just the return, it was you know, my neighbors. I talked to my neighbors previously uh, you know, about investing in real estate with me. Which some other multifamily thing. None of them were interested. It's not something they understand. They're they're kind of you know, afraid of it, and so I kind of just was like, all right, well, they're not going to be investors and for these deals with me. When I got involved with the campground stuff, I asked them like, hey. What do you think about uh, investing in these campgrounds? You guys are going to these properties anyway. You're, you're, you're familiar with it. You, you use it. Would you be interested in investing in one of those like, like that? And that's kind of where they their ears more perked up. Like, oh, that would be interesting. That's something that uh, they would probably enjoy. You know, now it's something they understand. They they use it. So so yeah, why not invest in it? So okay, so I realized okay, there's maybe a additional niche here that you know these big investor group. There's lots of people with RVs and campers, and most of them typically have you know, higher income to afford those types of luxury items. So, so I was like, this could be a very untapped niche to get into, to, to get those investors and, and those people that are interested in these deals that would not be otherwise in other real estate. So, so I was like, yeah, what if I get to lose this? Give it a try and, and, uh, and go for it. And so uh, that was, you know, just about a year ago now at this point. Uh, and and uh, we've really, you know, with half camper capital, we've kind of just exploded on, on the scene really and have kind of taken over. You know, when people think of, uh, of RV campground investing, they're going to think of half camper capital and, uh, luckily, they think of me as well because I'm not really, uh, or, you know, kind of unofficially or, or unintentionally become the, the face of the company to to people to know of, of me associated with it. So, so it's just, yeah, it's been an exciting journey, and, and we've, we've had an incredible year already. And this next year is just going to be even more amazing with all the deals we have coming up. So that, that's kind of where, where we're at now. Enjoying the episode so far? Have you really been listening to the episode, or has your monkey mind been taking you off in one direction or another? Our mental habits can be our biggest assets or our biggest liabilities as we pursue certain goals. 
For me, the biggest performance gains have always come from training my mind. In my book, Mindful Landlord, I talk about how you can train your mind and how you can apply some of these strategies to your journey in the real estate field. The book is available on Amazon and also on its website, mindfullandlord.com. Now I'll stop evangelizing for the power of mental training and let you get back to the show. So tell me, uh, last kind of business related question, like what's so special about campgrounds? And I mean, I also want to understand, are you more like on the capital raising side or are you guys actually holding the real estate yourselves? Yeah. So first of all, just to give some, some I guess, some general expectations. The, these properties, the cash flow from day one. So they're very high cash flowing properties, very similar to essentially like a, a short-term rental, right? If you want to compare a, a Airbnb to a standard long-term single family, that short-term rental is typically going to outperform that single family every time. Uh, and so these properties are basically like having multiple short-term rentals on one property. And they, so they produce very high income. Our, our cash on cash for our investors are typically around a 15% and above average, you know, cash on cash. I'd say two and a half to three X multiples on our, on our average deal. So, so great returns for, for the investors. But on top of that, you know, as an investor yourself, we encourage you and want you to actually go there and, and enjoy it. You know, so if, if you're invested in a multifamily or self-storage, you're probably not going to be using it really. You know, and so <laughs> these properties, you can actually go there, create experience with you, your, your, your fam, friends and family, you know, enjoy the, the time being there and then actually uh, use it. You know, we, we actually offer up to a week free stay at any of our properties for our, our investors per year. Uh, and then discounts beyond that. So we want you to go there and have fun and use them, you know, share it with your friends and family. And, and you know, just having that experience of talking about it, it's of course going to bring more people to want to invest with this as well. So what I like about it, though, you know, your, your question, uh, besides, of course, this, the, the better returns and those experiences, there's a, there's multiple levels to it, really. Uh, and and I, I've come to, uh, I guess, uh, love it more and more over, over time as I learn more about it. So w- one thing with, you know, you think about, Multifamily. It just just going kind to of give us something to compare to because most people understand and know multifamily. So I'm going to use that as a comparison. With multifamily, you're kind of uh, there's a few things there. So you're at some point you get capped out. So there's you know you, you you do everything you can to improve the property, make the property the units nice, and get the the rents up to to market rent. But at a certain point, you get you know, almost like you, you're tapped out. You you can't really go too much above the actual market rent. You know if you have your property rents for a thousand dollars a month if, if even if you gold plate the toilet, you're probably not going to rent it for 3000 You know, nobody's going to want to pay extra. And so as compared to, to uh, these campgrounds, there's almost unlimited upside potential. You know, so we could potentially add on additional amenities. So it's not based on just the rents or, or some other like, things of conjuring and whatnot. People come here to pay for the experiences. You're, you're going to have uh, people going to rent, say, boats, maybe ATVs, like, you know, go, uh, golf carts and things, you know, possibly some, some horse back riding type stuff. Uh, people are paying for, you know, concert events that we may do. Uh, there's a convenience store, usually possibly some restaurants and other things on site. So there's tends to be on average about 10 different income streams on these properties that we can, we can pull from. Uh, and we can essentially continuously add on new income streams as we think of them or, or you know, something that uh, people want to say, hey, yeah, we can, we can add on an aqua park or, you know, whatever it may be that would bring people to the property. Uh, so I like that there's, you know, there's essentially, there's no limit to, to the income we can possibly produce on these properties. Uh, second, you know, the, the thing that I've really come to really appreciate more, I, I think, in the last you know year or so is with the evictions, right? So we don't have to, the, on most multifamily properties, let's say you, at some point you're going to have to deal with evictions. You know, I even had to myself during during COVID, I had a couple of properties in, in Arkansas that, you know, 
due to the uh, the eviction moratorium, we could not get rid of them for you know about eight months or so. That we had zero income. Then when they moved out, we had to you know do a lot of repairs, and so it was a big expense. And uh, so with these properties, we don't have to evict anybody. The, the, nobody's living there. These are essentially again, it's a it's a vacation destination resort. So people are prepaying to come and stay for a time, and they leave. And if they don't leave, we just essentially call the police to uh, escort them off for trespassing. It's not it's not a big you know, legal process or anything to get people out. Since the RVs are their own, there's really not much they can really destroy. You know, uh, possibly the the, the uh, utility connections there, but that's not you know usually not a problem to deal with. And then on top of that is also just the other factors is uh, the the I guess that the actual moral part of it is that with a, a multifamily property, your end goal, of course, is you want to increase the, the income, increase the value. By you do that by increasing the rents usually. Also, to reduce your expenses, but typically you're, you're going to increase the rents is the, the big factor there. And when you do that, the, the people that live there, of course, now they have to make a choice. They either want to cut their budget in some way or other to afford that higher rent or find another place to live that's more affordable for them. You know, and of course, that, you know, for, for the for the uh, syndicator side, it's like, well, you know, you're, you're going to then bring in better, different tenants that are looking for that price range. You know, but, but still for the fact that the, the people that were there, existing there, that, uh, you know, it may have been good tenants being on time, but now, okay, they got to. You know, hundred or two hundred dollar rent bump that could be quite big on people's people's budgets that are living paycheck to paycheck, and so with these properties now again people aren't living there. So even if we raise those rents on those rentable spaces for RVs, we're not making people make a decision on do I, you know, go for cheaper food, pay rent or, or you know whatever it may be. And so so we don't. If, I don't feel bad now about uh, you know possibly affecting people's lives in, in a bad way. You know possibly putting out a you know a young mother on the streets or something. And so, so with us, you know, again, the, the people that are coming here, first of all, are, are probably higher income earners to begin with. And so if we raise the rents on, on a rental space, they can either decide to come here or go somewhere else. Either way, it doesn't really matter. They're, they're going to go somewhere uh, to, to use their RV. And, and, and you know, hopefully it's going to come out anyway because we have better amenities they want to come and have fun with. Uh, and so, you know, a small increase in, in the rental space for a few nights is not going to be a big deal to their overall, you know, budget. So, so I like that aspect a lot. That you know, I don't, I don't feel bad now if, uh, you know, knowing that we're affecting some some people's lives. Mm-hmm. I, I like, I, I love that motivation. I think that's really, that's really great. And I think, you know, that's also um, like a revelation that a lot of us who work in this industry, like we come to. And you know, I do most of my business in the lower income space, and like that's definitely a phenomenon that you know you can witness, and that is just difficult to find a kind of a, a social answer to it. But this brings me to, I guess, the last question I wanted to ask you. So from your uh, profile, I see that you uh, are a, a, like a real straight shooter. And I want to know where that comes from and why is that a good quality in business? Because I think, you know, that's not necessarily the thing people lead with these days so much. But, I, you know, I found it as an attractive thing to put front and center. And so just tell me about that a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, that you, I guess, inferred that from from you know, my bio or you saw me, I guess. But that's probably a deep question. <laughs> so, it, it, uh, I'd say a lot of it goes just to my my, my upbringing. My, my parents were were you know excellent parents. That they both since have passed on now, but you know they were uh, it's amazing examples of, of you know how you treat people and, and uh, you know treat people with respect and and, and uh, you know never take advantage of, of people and all that kind of things. And so. I grew up in that in that type of household, and then uh, you know, just my I guess my part of that relates to my religious beliefs as well uh, about treating others fairly and, and uh, staying myself. I guess what I feel to be to be worthy or, or uh, you know, I guess in, in a righteous 
position, more, not, not in a self-righteous way, I'd say, but more just, you know, feeling, feeling good with myself between my, my Heavenly Father and myself to know that uh, I'm in good standing with, with him and uh, I, I treat my fellow men as I would want to be treated, basically, as it comes down to. So, uh, so that's been, been ingrained in me my whole life. Uh, you know, I, I served as a missionary for, for our church as well for two years and, uh, and getting out there to just, you know, love people and, and I just, I guess, part of who I am. You know, I, 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 I honestly say I don't, I don't lie or cheat or steal. And, you know, it's just not who I am. I, it's not something I can do. So, uh, so for me, when I'm telling you, because I, I've got a great deal that I think you should invest in, it's because I truly believe that. It's not, uh, it's not me trying to take advantage of somebody and get their last cent or anything like that. I never would, you know, again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't ask someone to invest in something I'm not willing to invest in myself. So, so yeah, it just kind of goes back to just to that, that upbringing and, and my, my core beliefs, who I am. But so why is that good business practice? And, and oh. where I'm going, where I'm going with this, no, where yeah. I'm going with this is that like, I agree with you and I like share your, you know, applaud, share the fact that that's something you're trying to put out there. But like, I, I kind of yeah. want to do a sales job on it. Right. Because I think, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. no, I think we need more of that. And I wish that when I was, you know, in this investment space, like I could have more conversations where people are like, yep, you know, this is like my main way of doing business. And like, let's just put more of that out there. So why sure. like, sell this for me? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'll try. I, I never consider myself a, a salesman either. So going back to the to the, the thing where people say they, they know, like, and trust you, right? So that has a lot to do with it. So if people know me, like, on a personal level, they know that, uh, you know, like I said, I, I'm not going to try to take advantage. I'm not going to lie, cheat, or steal you. They know that they can therefore trust me. So if, if they can can uh, want to invest with me, put their money with me, they know that I'm going to take care of them. I'm not going to let anything happen to them. I'm not going to, you know, say, oh, sorry. It was just, you know, that's the risk of investing. Uh, too bad for you, right? So I'm going to make sure that uh, they're taken care of, that uh, they're not going to, you know, oh, again, I can't control everything. I'll see. I don't have, I can't say what's going to happen in the world and things like that. But So there's always risk for everything. But I'm going to do all I can to make sure that, uh, you know, they are taken care of, that nothing goes wrong, that they're going to get even better than what they expect. Uh, and know that, you know, I'm not here just to swindle them. Again, a, lot, a lot of times the investors, or just in business in general, you're, you're not, for the most part, dig with the person you know, in person, right? Uh, most, none of my investors have ever met me in person. It's all been through virtual, you know, Zoom calls or phone calls and things. And so that's putting a lot of trust to, to say, here's, you know, 100,000 or, or more of my money uh, that I'm going to trust in you. And so, and really, for the most part, for, especially for syndications, I've, I've come to realize that that's kind of the, the the gold standard, I'd say, is people, for the most part, don't care about the deals as much as they care about the person that they're investing with. And so as much as we, you know, we have, I guess, my perspective, better deals than what you're getting elsewhere, that's sometimes not enough. They got to they gotta know you and trust you and, and your team than, than just the, the, the dollars involved. And so I think that's, you know... A big thing here. If if I'm if I'm talking to someone, I feel like they're just trying to sell me on something. It's like, hey, you know, or, you know, if they're a smooth talker or whatever. You know, think think of like you know, car salesman type thing. You know, better for them. Sorry, but but you know, it, it's you know, if you just feel like they're just here to get your money, then you know, I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm not, I'm probably not going to trust you enough to to do that. But if they feel that uh, they that you are there for them, like you care about their life and you care about their uh, their end goals and and what they're trying to achieve, and I can help you do that, then. Uh, then that that means a lot for I think for most people that uh, that you know trust you to help them in that journey. Yeah, I, uh, I I I mean I definitely agree with you, and I think that that you know authenticity and uh, realizing that like that's kind of what it's all about, right? Is that like you know you your reputation and your character 
are ultimately one of the things that make people want to do yeah. business with you. Obviously, knowledge as well, and you know, having access to good deals. But like, mm -hmm. if your character is then sabotaging because they think that you're out for some motivation that's not aligned with theirs, that can right. actually be yeah. really destructive. Yeah, yeah. People can see if, if you're putting on some kind of facade to say, yeah. "Oh, I'm," you know. This and that, but you know, so so I, I've always been authentic. You know, I'm not going to say you know I'm super experienced in everything and, and whatnot, and, and trust me because that you know that's not it at all. And for, like you said, for, for me, that um, integrity has always been a big thing for me. So even you know years years back, uh, any job interview I ever had, you know, they always say, "What's your best quality?" Or I would say, you know, integrity. And that, that's like you said, for me is my uh, I've always been you know believed that uh, you know my, my name stands for something. Um, I don't want to, uh, I guess you know harm or, or, or foul my, my family name or, 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 or my religious beliefs that people may associate with what I do. So I've always been, you know, integrity is number one. I don't want to, uh, I want to make sure that anything comes up, people are going to trust my word. Uh, and that's actually helped me out several times on different things where, or, you know, in the past, you know, nothing, you know, investment related, but, but, uh, through past work experiences where, where it's kind of my word against somebody else's. And, uh, in, in every case, the, the, the manager or HR people involved would, would always, take my word over the other person because they know, you know, that that's who I am, that I've never given any reason to, to, to believe otherwise based off my, my, you know, my, what I say and what I do. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. Let's, uh, and let's end on that note. So, you know, really, how can I say investing in your own word or like making your own word be worth something? Because ultimately like that's what trust is all about. That like when you say something that that actually has that check has some value. Yeah. I mean, old school dance saying my, my word is my bond. It's kind of that, yeah. <laughs> that old school saying that's, that's, that's me. That's who I am. Yeah. Well, so Don, thank you so much for uh, taking this time to chat with me, for sharing your insights with our audience. What's the best way for people to connect with you if they want to learn more about what you do? Yeah. So I'm very active on LinkedIn. So if you're on LinkedIn, you can find me there. You can also go to our website, happycampercapital.com. If you want to talk with me directly, go to our about us tab, find me there, click on that. And there, there's a link in there to, uh, set up uh, as a call with me. We do a Zoom call and then uh, chat. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, remember to give us a rating, leave a comment, subscribe, and share. You can find Terry at terryshower.com. Her book, Mindful Landlord, is available on Amazon. You can also follow her on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. JP is the president of the Real Estate Investors Club. You can learn more about the club's networking and educational activities on Facebook by searching for Real Estate Investors Club. Look to the show notes to find information on our guests and links to material mentioned in the episode.